0: Okay, I would uh, like to welcome and introduce Mr. Amnon Ben Yehuda, a dear friend who has had a truly remarkable life experience. Um, In 1952, he graduated from the University of California at Berkeley, coming from the newly independent state of Israel. On graduation, he went to work for NCR, uh, rising to the highest levels of management is a GM of the special uh, projects division, and then the micro graphics uh, division. Um, he retired and uh, that was by no means the end of his work. He is a community servant, uh, what we would call in restorative terms, uh, a community builder. Um, Uh, Has many talents, including uh, classical violin. He still plays weekly for uh, benefit of friends, and uh, he's a gifted photographer. He's had a one-man show uh, showing uh, pictures of uh, uh, people on the streets of Israel. Uh, He's been on. Well, he's lent his leadership experience to countless. boards and committees of uh, various nonprofit organizations, uh, very active in the uh, Rotary Club and Rotary International, been working for, I think, a couple of decades on a program to educate and ensure the vaccination of infants. Um, But the story really starts uh, over 90 years ago in uh, what was then Palestine. Amnon, at age 14, joined the Haganah Underground, whose purpose was to fight for the uh, free state of Israel. He was 17 when the United Nations declared Israel an independent state. And at that time, 17 years of age, he joined the Palmach, which was uh, the tip of the spear, if you will the shock troops of the Haganah and the bullets started to fly. Uh, he was engaged shortly uh, after the start of the war in a uh, historic battle in the upper, upper Galilee at a place called Neva Flashing forward to age 87, he decided to write a book Uh, Central to the book is the battle uh, just discussed and uh, its effect on him uh, in terms of what actually happened in the battle and his life from that point forward. So it is with great pleasure that I ask you, Amnon, what, at 87 years old, motivated you to write this book?
1: Well, thank you, Steve. Thank you for being here and uh, uh, having a conversation uh, with you and and particularly on this subject that's very dear to me. What motivated me? Well, I have been through a journey in my own life, uh, an unusual journey. Uh, First, I was, as a young man, I was involved in the War of Independence in Israel in 1947, 48. Uh, So I was on an unusual journey. At 17, I was 18 basically, just 18 plus a few months old when I was involved in this, what we call today a historic battle. Uh, That was in April, 1948. I was into combat as of, November 29 1947 when the United Nations declared war uh, declared the, 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 the establishment of the State of Israel and on that day basically the, the, the hostilities began and I was into war okay? Uh, so by the time we went to this action in 19 in, in, in April I was already a pretty seasoned guy. I've been been through some... Very uh, ending, if you will, uh, actions, and and survive them all, scratch free. And in this case, uh, again, we had a, a very. i not going into the details of the operation. It was a night operation, and we, f- we we failed for one reason or another, and we lost a total on this on that action twenty two men, 12 of them were members of our own group. And I have to emphasize now that our group was unique because when we, I joined the Palmach, I joined it together with my buddies, kids that I grew up with in the scouts movement. So that we were already a, a bonded group. Uh, now we lost 12 of them in one in one shot. And that was a a, a real shock. And I mean, 12 out of the 20, I'm sorry, 12 out of the 22 were from our own group, the immediate group, kids that I grew up with. Our parents knew each other, one another. Their bodies were found in the field after the war, A a month later after the place was captured. They were in pairs. One guy, one guy was wounded, another guy tried to rescue him, and, and, got, and both of them got killed. So they were literally found in pairs. I ended up being the only guy that was successfully rescued. I was shot in the head. Bullet hit me somewhere around here, and went into coma immediately. I was in coma for eight days. So everything I'm telling you about this and what happened is what I ultimately learned in my life. Um, my recruits on that action, uh, they're fresh guys. They were inexperienced, untrained. I just—I com- got command over them just one day earlier. I didn't even know how they knew their names, all right? And they were panicked, they didn't, think I was dead. Fortunately, one of our buddies passed by. His name was Aronchik. And he saw me and he made sure that I would be rescued. Aronchik and I were friends from kindergarten, age four. All right. We went to kindergarten together. <laughs> I used to go to his house to play with his toys because he had plenty of toys and I didn't. You know, I mean, and then we were in school together and in, in, in scouts together. And that was the kind of group we were. All right. I'm looking at I still have a picture, a picture from the kindergarten and I identify a bunch of guys like that, you know, that I've known throughout life. So anyway, I was it was a miracle that I was rescued from the battlefield. But then the, the story began, it took 72 hours to get me to a hospital. For the first 48 hours, from the field, I was rescued from the field to a settlement called Ramot Naftali about a mile or so away from the place. So they carried me to there and left me there because they didn't think they could successfully carry me down the mountain to 2,000 feet Just going, you know, not going, literally going down a mountain. So they left me there. And it it turns out later on, I discovered, and that was a drama also, and it's all in my book. Okay. Here, my book Healing the Wounds of War. Healing the Wounds of War. It's all there. (laughs) So I discovered there were two, I call them young ladies. Untrained, maybe they knew how to fix a you know a cut, you know, and they had none no no equipment to deal with, and they kept watch around me around the clock, and they kept me alive by keeping me hydrated, by using damp rags and squeezing. A drop of water into my mouth and keeping my mouth and my tongue wet. This is a story I learned 40 years later. Okay, and I met them 40 years later. And after I met them, when I came back, you see this gold chain I'm wearing? Uh I gave each one of them the same gold chain. Right? and that two nights later our guys climbed up the mountain again to that to bring supplies to this place and to evacuate the nine babies that were there under age 2 evacuate them because the place was under siege they were surprised to find me alive there was a discussion of mercy killing because they did not think they could carry me down, particularly at night, down the mountain. But, well, they finally decided to put me on a stretcher and eight guys carried me down the mountain, and successfully. And there, there was another event of almost that, when they, they got me down to a kibbutz called Ayelet HaShacha, which was the main kibbutz in the upper Galilee of Israel. And that I learned from a book that a friend of mine wrote years later, she, a lady, and she was there. And she wrote a, a, a major book about the whole period. And she described how she saw me brought on, an, on, an, on a stretcher and placed on the floor there on the ground and someone checking me out and covering my face. And she ran over, she uncovered my face, and she found a pulse. And she called the doctor right away. And whatever they did at that point, gave me a shot or I don't know what. From there, I was carried. To a, a hospital in Tel, uh, near Tel Aviv, a Belinson Hospital in a place called Petach Tikva. Okay. There was another miracle. One of the world's greatest neurosurgeon was waiting for me. Doctor Harden Ashkenazi, he just arrived in the country as a Holocaust survivor. Just arrived. Uh, He was, in the late 30s, he was trained in the best universities in Eastern United States, and then returned to Romania and became the chief neurosurgeon in their great whatever main hospital. And he ended up surviving the Holocaust, and he came, arrived in a refugee boat to Israel. And he checked me out. And Friday morning, and that was the day—the Er of Pesach. On Friday morning, he, he operated on me. It was a six-hour operation. He basically opened my skull here, about four by four, and removed the bone, and then cleared, cleaned whatever blood that was clotted and pressing over the brain, and just put the skin back on. And after surgery, it gave me one half of 1% chance of making it. 0.5%. Wow. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going.
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've
1: Man, when discussed I
0: was, with, with this with you. It takes my breath away every time I hear and, that.
1: And then uh, I started waking up. And this, um, this is where I start the book, Waking Up. Make it, again, trying to make a long story. I made a, re- a remarkable recovery once. But what I find myself, for a while, my, both eyesight and speech were not there. And I'm, my eyesight came back the first returned, and then the speech, I remember the frustration that I had, because as I was waking up, my brain was clear, clear as a bell. And I remembered my my point of impact of being injured, and that's all I knew. And I became very curious to know what happened in a battle in totality, because I did not know. And I was concerned about you know I think well as long as my brain is good I'm going to recover but the worst part was the right side of my body was paralyzed just like you see cases of people with with a stroke with one part one side of the body is paralyzed the speech after a while was coming but for, for quite a number of days it was very frustrating because I wanted to say something. I knew what I wanted to say. And it was stuck somewhere in the mouth. I could not get it out. Um, But I made an amazing recovery. Got out of bed. I, I, of course, I I was famished at the time. They gave me license to to go to the kitchen any time I wanted to get more food, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Okay. 17 days after after surgery I was released from the hospital I was able to walk uh, and, you know my head was all bandaged and they sent me to a, what they call a rest home place where just you know just be there and, and just they take care of you all I did there is just get up in the morning having nice breakfast and all that and and there's a nurse on site also. And then I spent a year at home recovering. And I was thinking for me, it was all physical. Uh, so here I am, I'm at home. I cannot use the right hand, just hanging like this. And I'm saying to myself, <clears throat> what do I need to do so that I can go back to my unit? To go back and rejoin the unit. That's the objective <laughs> and I prepared a program for myself for a, 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 for rehab and I, I, may, I it turned out I, I, I did things that today are considered a, 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 the latest technology medical, te- medical <laughs> thinking in terms of how to recover from paralysis. Number one, I mean, that's not only several that I did. We had a large mirror in the entryway in the house, and I so I said to myself, "Look, I'm not, my left side is is healthy, the right is not. I'm going to have my right left, my good side teach the, the right side. How I do it? I stand in front of a mirror." And I begin to make movements with my arms in my hands, just like this, like, like even dancing, if you will. Okay, up and down side like this. But with my eyes, I control it to be absolutely symmetrical. So I'm basically forcing the right side of my body to do things that with my eyes closed, I cannot do. But now I'm, I'm reestablishing things. So I would stand in front of a mirror and just go like this. Like even swimming or or just any, any, any form of motion. Just free form as long as it's symmetrical. And I control it through the eyes. So I'm basically recreating brain cells to bring my right side of the body into action. And that worked beautifully. <laughs> and you can see. I also decided that I was not going to become a lefty, which means I'm not going to start writing with my left hand. Also, I'm not going to eat with my left hand. So again, I said to myself, I'm going to work on it. So I took I, I, I took like a pen or pencil, like here, just put it in a hand and Close the, again, closing the fingers on it, the way it should be. Putting it on, and I had a large sheet of paper, and began to make lines. Just go, just go, draw lines, and and make circles, and big big squares, circles. But just move, move it, move it, move it, move it. Holding it properly, the way you, you, you should hold a pen, a lower pen. And slowly, I was making smaller, smaller. forms and and making large letters and then smaller letters and smaller letters and smaller letters. And finally I wrote a letter to my brother. That was the first letter that came out with my right hand. The same thing was with using the fork. I would say, you know, we, we hold the fork with the right hand. I insist, and the same thing. So I sit at the the, the meal table and get the fork, get the fork in my hand and make sure that, and you know, hold it right and now have it and eat. And I'll never forget once for breakfast time. I'm eating breakfast. My mom sits right on to my side, you know. I mean, she's watching me like a hawk, right? I mean, by the way, I want to tell you digress for a moment I was so lucky to be able to come home come back to a home to a family to parents that gave me all the support I needed with love both love and care and so it gave me complete freedom to do what I needed and what I wanted to do at the time I didn't think about it for me it was, oh yeah I'm returning home that's all but when I think back, I realize how privileged I was. And so here I'm eating breakfast and I I, I grab some scrambled eggs with, with a fork and I stick it right right into my cheek. <laughs> and my mom begins, oh Ma. I say, Oh come on, mommy. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll learn, I'm training. All right. Then another thing, you know, I played the violin all my life from age six, and there's no way I could hold a, a bow. I mean, the hand was really bad. So I said, let's play an accordion. I bought an accordion, we have a that will give me, it, it, it will exercise my fingers, see? I bought an accordion and it took lessons for a couple of months to learn the instrument and then I would play every day, a couple of hours. And the whole idea was to, uh, to use the right hand. And, and until today, forever, the only way I could play the, the, the accordion is by looking at my right hand. So I play and look at my right hand. If I don't look at him, I don't know where the hand is. <laughs> <laughs> now, what's remaining basically as I said, it's the location that I cannot identify and, and, and unless I look at it. And I don't have a feeling at the tips, at the, hand, at the hand. I really don't have a feeling. So if I didn't look at my hand and I look at my back and behind and I want to touch something, I can sort of identify rough stuff in big way, but I can really, really cannot make distinctions of space, uh, uh, sometimes textures and all that. So I'm, I have a restriction now with the right hand. That's it. And later on, uh, we'll go to details I, You know, I had a plastic, a, surgeon, a, a plastic surgery and I have a nice plastic plate put in here. And that's been <clears throat> uh, with me for, for most of my life, my life of course. Um, So that's the physical side of it. That's half of it. What I did not do is deal with my emotions. An interesting question is, why did I come to the United States to study? Uh, After about a year of rehab, I wanted to go to school, you know, to move on to higher education. And my first thought was to go to the Technion in Haifa, a very fine technical institute. Well, my physician, my doctor Ashkenazi, my surgeon, with whom I developed very close relationship, I was his number one in the country <laughs> as a soldier. And he used to invite me during the year to, his, to medical lectures that he was given, and he would Invite me as a sample, <laughs> and I had such privilege when I come. When I had to see him, I go to the clinic, and the 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 nurse would advise. Would, well, the, the receptionist would let him know that Amnon is here. He would stop everything and say, "Bring him in," <laughs> you know. <laughs> we became very close, and he, he was like a second father. And both my father and I. I remember I had a, a meeting with him. We talked about what, what's next. And he said to my father, Let him go. I remember, I'll never forget what you're saying. Let him go. You're saying, Get out of the country. Get away. Because he saw my emotional uh, distress. He understood it. And he felt I needed to get away. And I'm thankful to him for that, for the rest of my life. I'm thankful to. Him. I love him. I'm thankful to. Him. So. Um, so I'm going to Berkeley. I went to Berkeley, where that's where I met Lee, oh, and, she, she, and, and that was that was gift, worth it. <laughs> that, was, that was another gift for me, a real gift. Um, but I, I was living in den, total denial about, uh, and I thought that I could get away with it. Like basically like all of us, all men. The idea of going to counseling or getting help, we say, who me? I don't need it, I'm okay, You know, I'm in charge. And that's how I conducted my life until I reach a crisis. Now, again, I'm thankful to, to, to Lee because of her and together with her, we were going in the 60s, we were going to a whole bunch of workshops and things like that. So that was the beginning for me to sort of consider maybe, you know, that, that there's more than just the physical side of it, the uh, physical side of me. But the truth is I was having nightmares I was having flashbacks. Flashbacks from situation, not from the time when I was wounded, that's interesting. I was having flashbacks from horror, much worse cases in, in, in earlier encounters. I was once caught on the ground in, in main, in open, in daylight in a field, in, 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 in the middle of the field. I got Charlie horse I got cramps in my legs and fell I could not move I fell on the ground I could not move and bullets were hitting the ground to my left to my right I could see a puff here puff here puff here puff here and I'm on the ground for about 20 minutes and the, and the bastards could not hit me <laughs> well, uh, two guys came to help me and they both got hit while they came when they came to me And I did not get hit. How about that? Um, So, you know, the randomness of this thing is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, So here I am having flashbacks all of a sudden, you know, like uh, Lee and I in the bedroom in the evening, standing there talking about before, before I even think of going to bed. And all of a sudden I get the shakes. And yeah, all of a sudden I feel the bullets flying around me, and I can hear it. I can hear the I can hear the puff in the ground as the bullet hits the, the, the ground next to me. Puff, and you can see that little dust comes up. Uh, and things like that. And I had I had uh, nightmares that were recurring also. And what fun! The net result of that was that I reached a point where. It was consuming my energy, and I was un, I was reaching a point I could not uh, recharge myself over a weekend between the end of Friday and beginning of Monday morning, and I, that was a signal for me that things were bad, and now I'm real trouble. So that's when I went into, uh, decided to go into counseling. And at that point, uh, once I did it, I did it with vigor, if you will. I spent one year in counseling in counsel two days a week. And that's all I did that year. I didn't do anything else. That was enough, believe me. Believe me. Uh, I spent a whole year in counseling. And that saved my life. Steve, this is who I am today that you know, it saved my life. It opened me up and, uh, uh, you know, so. Uh, what, like what, this was in the late sixties you're
0: talking it, about? No, that
1: or? was, that, no, that was in the, no, in the eighties. 80s eighties. 80s. In the eighties, in the mid eighties, uh, yes.
0: And I might add, uh, Lee, uh, what what have you been married 70
1: years how long have you been married to Lee oh with Lee in June he'll be 70 years 70 years and she is a
0: beautiful and remarkable lady in her own right she's a psychologist I can't imagine how helpful she must have been through this whole process
1: oh she I could not admit it without her yeah oh I'm so grateful to her yeah and, and I want to tell you, I, I mean, I love her. I love her so deeply. And I joke with her, I said, honey, I'm in love with an 80, with a 90 year old lady. Do you know? I'm deeply in love with a 90 na- year old lady. <laughs> she has been uh, my life savior. No, no ifs and buts about it. Uh, because she introduced me to the emotional side of life. Uh, the fact that it's not that not just functional, all the emotions and, 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 and how important, and, and I finally recognized it. I finally, so, so that's when, and what happened, let me, beyond that, once, that was in 86, I believe. In 1988, uh, was the 40th anniversary of the battle and now tell, come back there all the bodies that were c- uh, collected there were buried in a common grave by the fortress that we we're trying to capture and it became it became a national monument so we have a common grave for all my friends and every year there's a major event there. And I decided to go back in 1988 to deliver a eulogy to my friends. And that was a breakout for me again. I, del- I went there to deliver a eulogy.
0: I want to just interrupt for a second here lest I forget. Uh, if you go to the resource page and see Amnon's uh, uh, write-up, uh, there is a link to a documentary called I Will Not uh, Forget This, My Friend. And I believe that was at that 40-year reunion. And uh, the link is on video, vimeo.com, and I urge you, it is a compelling... Uh, document, and uh, Amnon, you're one of the highlights of that documentary, and it is something I recommend uh, everybody to take the time and watch. It is, it's just amazing.
1: Well, let me tell you about the documentary. It's, that's, my, my st- what, once I open up, and I, like I delivered the, 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 the eulogy, a whole new chapter of life, my life opened. And also many of my friends took a free ride on it and it's wonderful. So it, it's been helpful to others. And again, you know, they're showing it again and again in Israel. Right now, in fact, there's a fellow in the Galilee, in, in that area who has a major website and we've been in communications now for, for a long time. And he has a whole chapter there on me and the story. Uh, and, and now we have a museum at the site and our, our temple has been there in the museum. And in the museum, there's a sec- section that the Bodhidratian right telling my story yeah. and there's one article that they're showing of that i uh, that i uh, my, of my clothing and that's my hat they're actually <laughs> behind the glass, uh, glass. <laughs> my i'm nobenyu's hat
0: <laughs> well you're always been a dashing guy i'm sure it was a
1: very stylish hat. But, uh, once i gave the the eulogy. Then, one of the guys writes to me, and he says, "Amnon, I was one of the guys who carried you down the mountain 40 years ago, and I could never." And and, and he was now a professional uh, uh, video maker, okay, filmmaker. He said, so "I could. I uh, all my life I wanted to make a documentary, and I could not touch the subject." because of my own guilt feeling. But once I heard your eulogy, I feel relieved. I'm ready to make the documentary. And you say, will you come back to Israel next year and we will film everything? And I did. Pardon me. So the following year, I was in Israel. And on the 40th, we went to the spot, I stood on the spot where I was shot. And he interviewed me there. And there, there, he pulls out a poem. And he said, Amnon, will you read it, please? Surprise, surprise me. So he gun. Yeah, of course, I'll read it. It was a poem by Nathan Alterman, who was the greatest poet of the era. He gave us this uh, the inspiration to continue and fight and make it. And, and he was amazing. So he, he read the poem. He said, why don't you read it? So, okay, so I'm, I start to read it. Let me see if I can recite it in English for you. I will not forget this, my friend, how you carried me on your back, crawling mountains and and valleys. I will never forget how you did not forsake me to die. Um, When I hung to your neck, uh, let me, I, I must get it for you. It's my friend, please, Put me down and run because my head is pounding and I will not live to see the morning sun. Promise me my friend uh, if the day comes you come and tell him yes he was sort of a funny guy But he died like a man and a hero. Till morning, my friend, I will breathe no more. But till morning, I will never forget. Well, I read this. (laughs) I cried, I could not finish it. And we both broke down and cried. And this is on the film. And I came home, I was so affected by that poem, I ended up putting it to music. All right. So I recorded it and I called my friend, again, the the producer, and I said, I got a gift for you, my friend, listen, Okay, after he hears it, we get on the phone. He says to me, I'm a you son of a bitch. <laughs> now I have to redo the film. <laughs> <laughs> and he actually he renamed the film now. I will not forget this, my friend. And the music covers it, the film. Yeah. It
0: is beautiful. I mean, <laughs> uh, I, I've, I've seen it. Um... I watched it Saturday I think it was maybe the third time I've seen it. And I find it just compelling each time. I it's, there's something else you pick up from it. As you talk about, as you were saying it, I sensed the others feeling a release of like a yoke that was around their necks. You can see it in the film. You can see it in the reactions. And uh, especially when you were standing at the spot where you were shot and having that interview that you're talking about, that was, I mean, it is, uh, you know, to me it was overwhelming uh, having known you for so long and respected you for so long and all of the miracles, I mean, you know, meeting Lee, having, you know, the only guy in the world who could conduct the surgery to give you a 0.05 chance of survival I mean, these things just, uh, uh, you know, it, it, you are blessed and we have been blessed.
1: Our whole community has been blessed. Yeah, so now you ask me, why did I write the book? I So see. let me tell you, I, have a, I think the easiest way is for me to read it directly from the introduction here. Okay. Okay, it's just a few words. Very simple. It's one paragraph. I had a very clear purpose for writing this book, being eager to share my healing journey with other combat soldiers, regardless of which war they served in, who were still struggling, <clears throat> uh, struggling secretly in silence with their demons. In many ways we're all brothers. That's basic. This is what happens. We come back from traumatic experiences that you never experienced in life, otherwise in regular life. The great fear that you learn to control, the great fear at times, and you control it. I mean, when I think back, I said, my God, you know, when I was in action, I was like a machine. I never, the fear was not even an issue. But then, wow, the fear was before getting into action. And once the first shot was fired, become a machine. And, but then it haunts you later on. If you don't get a release for it, it haunts you later on in life. So you have to find a mechanism to release it. And we have you know, all these millions of people, soldiers, ex-soldiers in battle who carry their secrets in their belly and, and they take it with them to the grave. They never take it out. So I felt if I, the least I can do, if I, like we say, if we saved one one soul, one person, you saved the whole world. Uh, I don't know, but uh, showing the path. Yeah, I was a stubborn ass. I wouldn't even think of counseling for many, many years. You know, it was not not me. I was too strong for that. You know, too much of a man, or supposedly a man, and and. Uh, uh, and, and it would have killed me if, if, if I didn't take that step. I wouldn't be here today. And uh, I feel blessed, real blessed. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm, I'm sure if, if, if it could help any of, any of the guys who've been there and, hey, guys, there is a way out. There is a way to deal with it and, and, and create good life to yourself. Yeah. I mean, this, I wish as a young person, yeah, I would does, have had this. Your, your, your audio isn't, is, is chopping. Ah. Well, as a young person, I wish
0: I would have known this. My father was in the Second World War. Your uh, father? My father, yes. I was born in 1948. Okay. When you were being shot at, I was coming out of my mother's uh, womb. Yeah. Yeah. But he had, uh, you know, he was wounded three times. He was in a hospital in serious condition on VE day. And he said his big regret in the war was not being able to join the, he was in Paris, not being able to join the party that was going on that he could hear from his hospital bed but he did get pecs on the cheek from all the nurses, and, but he never came to terms. He would not discuss his war experience. Uh, I know he would get up in the night. I Yep. Sweats. Yep. Yep. And, uh, you know, he died at 59, I think oh, in my. large measure from, you know, the wounds of the war it did ultimately shorten his life. And, yep. uh, but he died carrying those demons with him. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's painful. Yeah, when you think when I think of it, it's painful. And you know, and and I, and I have all my buddies in Israel. Of course, of course, most many so many of them are not here anymore. But uh, uh, some of them really learned to to deal with it well, and that's, that
0: again is another blessing. So I want you who are listening, uh, there's information on how to acquire the book uh, through Amazon on the resource page. And as much or more than that, I urge you to um, uh, go to the link and uh, uh, do yourself a favor uh, and listen to uh, i will not forget this my friend it is uh uh you know i you know i look at you know, i've been teaching high school and i look at all these kids who are your age and i just try to you know picture how circumstance would get them to the situation you were in and it's just to me it, it is truly overwhelming <clears throat> So I want to thank you for myself and all of us, for the wonderful person you are and how much you contribute to not only our community, but to my Saturday morning. Amnon and I and a group of wonderful guys for 20 years have shared breakfast, it's a highlight of my week. We solve all the world's problems if they would only listen to us boy would it be a great world don't you think
1: <laughs> oh boy <laughs> of course
0: oh <laughs> uh, so i thank you so much for your time and um you know there are so many things that i would love to talk to you about on this podcast you have such a wide range of uh, interesting endeavors so um uh, um uh, from this podcast perspective, we'll, uh, as they say, uh, we'll see you down the road, hopefully. Not, uh, not goodbye. I mean, 90 years and you you keep on ticket. You got, there's a lot left for you to do, and I know you're going to do it. It's, you're an amazing man.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you. You know, it's just dumb luck. Well, no, no, let me say, no, let me own this. It's luck genes and maintenance. Yeah, and hard work.
0: Maintenance
1: Maintenance is not just physical, emotional, you know, that's what I'm talking about. It's all all these things together. But luck is big. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, I will uh,
0: see you Saturday. And... Saturday,
1: uh, for sure, yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) you, You have a good week and thank you so much. You know, I just—it's rare that I find myself lacking words, but
1: I just so appreciate you. Well, Steve, it's been great having you in my life. You know, Uh, you've you've been—you've done—been doing so much amazing, good work, and—and that's it. I mean, the name of the game is to give. You know when I learn I tell you coming out with just give, give, give back. I can never give back enough.
0: Yeah it's my mother who just recently passed away in 96 and uh, she always taught it's you will find that it is much better to give than to get.
1: That's yeah, for sure. Uh, always, always. True always. words. And, I mean giving is good Giving is good. Okay. I love you, Steve. Love you too. And okay, see you on Saturday. Saturday. Okay. Uh, okay. Bye bye, my friend. Thank you. Thank yeah. you.